to special programming from Nevada Voice and 91.5 Jazz and More, KUNV-FM and HD1 Las Vegas. This is Impact, a daily look at how we are coping with the coronavirus in Nevada. I'm Carrie Kaufman. The Cook County Jail has been named a coronavirus hotspot. 326 detainees and 196 correctional officers have been tested and have tested positive for COVID-19. Three people have died. 21 detainees are currently in the hospital. Inmates in the chronically overcrowded facility can't social distance. Yesterday, they turned to rioting, something that has been replicated in other prisons and jails around the country, and something we have not seen in the U.S. for a few decades. Today, we're talking to people who are trying to get people out of jail in Nevada to keep them health and healthy and safe. That's after the news. So uh, I am uh, going to go to the numbers from Washington Post, as I do every day. We've got over 2 million cases worldwide. Uh, the world death toll is now up to almost 136,000, uh, 13,000 more than yesterday. It's a pretty big, big jump, and we've seen the numbers kind of going down. Uh, but the U.S. and the U.K. are still... Still having numbers going up. In the U.S., the number of cases jumped 8% from yesterday to more than 636,000 cases and 28,000 plus deaths. Uh, Most of those deaths were due to New York revising its numbers from patients it had missed early on. In Nevada, we've got 200 more cases than we did yesterday, bringing us to 3,200. Ten more people have died bringing us to 131. For context, New York's numbers rose to 214,000 cases and over 1,600 deaths. Akiko Cooks, um, I want to bring you in here um, and talk about the news. Welcome to the program, Akiko. Yo, Akiko. Oh, sorry. I did not have your uh, <laughs> mic on. Sorry about that. Uh, so um, uh, you, I want to talk first. First of all, uh, Akiko Cooks is uh, one of the originators of No Racism in Schools 1865. Uh, and she is uh, an activist in town and deeply uh, entwined in, getting, in trying to get people out of jail, which is what we are talking about today. COVID-19 and how it is affecting people who can't social distance. Uh, But I want to start with this, Kiko. Uh, Las Mm -hmm. Vegas Mayor Carolyn Goodman uh, used the venue of the city council meeting today to say again that she thinks that the measures the state has taken are too extreme. Uh, she, She actually called the measures insane. So our numbers are pretty low. But the unanswerable question here is, what would the numbers look like if 40,000 people a week were still coming to visit Las Vegas? What do you think of all this? Yeah. I think that our numbers are low because we did step to action and and, um, quarantine and, and shelter in place. So I think that our numbers are low because of that. And people continue to tell their friends and loved one, hey, just stay at home. You know, just mm-hmm. let's just stay at home. Um, so I believe and I'm happy that our governor has done what he has done. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he was very serious at every press conference. He didn't want to talk about money. He didn't want to talk about anything but saving lives in Nevada. So um, I, I think that what he's doing is is right. Um, and we can't be at work working and making money if we're dead. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I think I'll put that uh, on somewhere on social media today. That's, that's I mean, yeah, quote. so... Yes. We yeah. have to be alive and well in order, you know, for our community to, community to thrive. Right. Um, and that also comes with, you know, our mental wellness and, and not being scared and afraid of just being out in public. Um, so right. I'm comfortable I, with, it has, with, with what has happened. Right. I, and I think point. that what you bring up is a good point, one that we will, um, that we will look at in the future, but because... Uh, going out in public again is going to be a really, really scary thing, uh, and we need to be make sure that we need to be reassured before we do that. I want to jump to um, some national stuff. Uh, President Trump told reporters today that he was thinking of shutting down Congress because they aren't putting through his nominees. Uh, what I found most re- revealing about this report is the subhead in the Washington Post. The president accused Senate Democrats of blocking his nominations during the crisis, but most of the vacancies are because his administration hasn't selected anyone to fill them. So, Akiko, uh, uh, you haven't, uh, I haven't given you anybody to hire, and it's your fault that you haven't hired anybody. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, mean, like, I, I just don't, I don't really understand uh, what the point is here. Like, I don't, right. yeah. Uh, we also uh, learning. Uh, we also learned from the Washington Post today that as the White House was telling the public we didn't need masks, they were actually ordering masks oh, for themselves yes. from I, Taiwan. I, I read an article from March that said, "Don't get masks. Don't buy masks. Mm-hmm. You don't need masks." I'm like, okay. And then now we need a mask. Now we need masks, and it turns out that there were people at the National Security Administration who knew that and were getting masks at this at that at the time. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, um, and I don't I don't you know I don't know what to make of this, but um, uh, I I want to uh, the obvious news moment of today the Captain Obvious news moment is what I labeled it. Uh, retail numbers uh, came out today, and they're very very bad. Uh, but grocery stores are doing very, very well. And I find, I kind of find that like, like the not news news story of the day. Yes, retail numbers are very bad where everything's well, closed. I'm, well, I'm, I'm, so are they separating retail stores from online retailers? Like, Yeah, and you know, the, overall, I think uh, it said we went down like 8%. Uh, so mm-hmm. that includes online. Uh, we're just, you know, we don't need stuff because we're not going anywhere. Right. right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, you know, there are there are some uh, businesses that just are not going to come back, and um, and and we'll see. There are some a lot of businesses right now who are still waiting for their uh, SBA check, and they're get they're having problems with that, uh, which we will also look about look around uh, at later on. Uh, but tonight we are focusing on uh, prisons and people in jail who can't fo- uh, social distance, Akiko. And I want you to talk to me about what you're doing. So I am uh, an organizer with Plan Action and a um, project, Mass Liberation. And we um, are bailing out. So it started off as a Black Mama Bailout initiative that we've been doing since 2017, where we are bailing out 
black women in the community across the country um before for mother's day so ah, okay quickly it changed to we just got to get people out so within a matter of weeks you know from our going to our preconvening coming home and getting ready to plan COVID happens so now we're just looking to bail people out to get people out um bail and then post bail supportive services so housing um anything like that health care anything that they need because housing is an issue right now as well mm -hmm. so um we're placing like we have two black women that we bail actually we have three women that we black that we bailed out two of them were black moms um and one of them we had to place in housing she had nowhere to go and you did so this we, recently yes you didn't wait for mother's day no Okay. <laughs> Wait for Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, and and, like, and so and they were from from where? Um, were they here in in Clark County? Las Vegas, yeah. Yes, okay. they're at CCDC. Okay. Yeah. CCDC is Clark County Detention Center. Yes. Okay. Um, for people who don't know, uh, right, it's right. it's a formidable looking building, and all of all the people <laughs> on here uh, tonight they uh, know what it is. But uh, so. Uh, they, you, you've bailed them out. How many, how does this work in terms of how do you identify who you are going to bail out? Um, so it's, it's actually kind of easy. So prior to COVID, we would have identified them just looking at the inmate list, um, and then planning a visit to go visit them. Um, and, and just kind of talk to them, get permission, that sort of thing. So now we are telling people you can refer your family or friends to us when we send out our donation link and just letting uh, people know what we're doing. So you can, you know, refer your family or friends to us, your loved ones, and get them in contact with us. Um, and we'll see what we can do. We'll see how we can help. And if they're at CCDC, that means that, that they're, in, in many cases, they have, they're just waiting trial. They're just waiting. But yeah, they can't afford bail. It, it, that's it. Pre-trial detention. You have not been charged, but we're going to hold you because you can't afford to go anywhere. Mm. So we're just going to hold you here. Um, and that's where National Bailout and Mass Liberation and Plan kind of steps up and says, okay, well, we'll help them get out. We will help them get back home, especially right now. People need to be home with their loved ones. They need to be with their children. They need to be helping take care of their families. Um, Prison and jail is not a place right now for um, a pandemic if you have to be there. You know, like, it, 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 there are people who are sitting there for traffic warrants. Oh, wow. Okay. So, because they, they, ha they haven't paid their fees. That's what you're talking yeah. about. They, they, there's a yeah, right. fee warrants. It'll turn into a warrant, and then they get pulled over, or however that happens, and then they end up back. Um, or they end up there. Hmm. I serving the, you know, the sentence or, you know, paying off the fine with their, their time. So. And how many people are you uh, bailing out every week? How, what's the goal? So here? we started bailing, we started bailing out two weeks, three weeks ago. So far we've bailed out four people. We're waiting for one because then there was a lot of stuff that was happening as far as there being hold or one woman could actually, she could actually go, she was actually released on house arrest, but because she was staying in a weekly, 
they wouldn't release her. Oh, because she had nowhere to go. So that's where you, that's where the right. housing comes in. That's where the housing comes in. Yes. Uh, and um, how how much can you guys scale this up? As much as we want to. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> We're so, in charge. Like, like this is yeah. This, you can, this you is could, our baby. Like yeah. You could <laughs> um, possibly you know get bail out everybody at the at the Cook, at the uh, Clark County Jail. Um, I don't know about bail out everybody but i do know that we can advocate um and you know because we do work with the public defender's office and Mm. you know they can tell us about specific cases that they have or that they know um or we can advocate to you know go before a judge with a number of so cases and say hey you need to just let these people out okay so uh you know we're we're gonna bring uh we're gonna go to the interview right now and um bring our public defenders in and our lawyers in. Um, um, But I want to start with this for you. Uh, Well, I I was going to play three seconds of uh, of Attica, of Al Pacino yelling, Attica, Attica, (laughs) Attica, because one of the things that has uh, struck me is that um, uh, nearly 40 years after the biggest prison riot in America, we are still dealing with the same things that Attica's inmates were complaining mm-hmm. about. Yes. Uh, we are dealing with overcrowding. We are dealing with more humane treatment uh, or less humane treatment. Uh, we, we're dealing with demands for better health care. Uh, and among other issues, in Attica, anyway, uh, they only got one roll of toilet paper a month, which I find fascinating in this atmosphere where we're buying God gads of toilet paper for a week. Uh, so nearly 40 years later, I want to a- explore how and why we have not moved forward. Uh, we're going to be joined right now um, by uh, ACLU Policy Director Holly Wellborn and John Pirro, who is Chief Be- uh, P- Deputy Public Defender in Clark County and a board member uh, for Nevada Attorneys for Criminal Justice. Welcome to the program, guys. Thank you. Hey, Welcome. Happy to be here. So, uh, Holly, let's start with you. The ACLU of Nevada has started an initiative to get people out of jails and prisons. Um, this isn't a lawsuit, though. This is just a request. At this point, no. We did file an amicus brief in a in a case down in um, Clark County, Mr. Krikorian, where that case argues that by not releasing individuals who are in high risk groups. It violates their Eighth Amendment rights. Holly, we just uh, lost you for a second. Okay. Oh no, you're you're there. Am I back? Yeah. So while I'm while I'm interrupting, let's say you you were talked about Mr. Kirkorian. This is Gregory Kirkorian, who is the son of Kirk Kirkorian, who was pretty famous around here when I was growing up, Uh, and he's in jail for animal abuse, right? That's correct. Um, And that's and, and his lawyers are arguing that he's too old and too frail. And it is inhumane to keep him in jail. Yep, that is correct. Okay. We, we signed on to a brief with the uh, Clark County Public Defenders, ourselves, um, federal public defenders, and several others. Uh, and so um, this is this brief, but are, there, are you trying to get other people out of prisons and jails? The most sweeping and practical way that we can go about this is through some, you know, executive action, some directive to 
the um, executive branch agencies like the Nevada Department of Corrections, some directive to move people out of the you know jail, local jails. That's what we have called for, for prosecutors to take particular action. There's like, actions that can be taken across the board in the criminal justice system that can effectively move people out, whether that's pre-trial, moving out individuals, no one who who is in jail for um, inability to pay bail should be incarcerated under mm -hmm. any circumstances. So right. that is definitely something that could happen immediately. Yeah, Kiko, uh, you agree with that, yes. I definitely agree with that. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, so in the letter that you put out, uh, Holly, um, you, you, you listed uh, a few things that you wanted, but you want you want uh, parole to be granted to people who, ha or actually you want people to be let go who have already been granted parole but are still locked up, uh, to high-risk inmates like Mr. Kikorian who are expected to be released within 18 months, and to nonviolent offenders who are whose sentences are set to expire in the next three years. So my question here is, how many people are we talking about? Uh, and why would somebody have been granted parole but are still locked up? So to answer the first question, we did get some numbers. I believe it was close to about 300 individuals who are currently in the Nevada Department of Corrections, living in a state prison, who have been awarded parole, but they're unable to be released into the community either because they don't have appropriate housing placement or there's some something mm -hmm. technical that's occurring in their re-entry program, which is, of course, um, it's something that was discussed throughout the last. Uh, we keep you shouldn't be there. Right. You you discussed this the last legislative session, correct? That's correct. Okay. Um, and then as far as the other numbers, I think, you know, it's, it has to be institution by institution, whether we're looking at Clark County Detention Center, city jails, pre-trial issues, they're um, really okay, so traffic offenses. Uh, okay, so Holly, you keep going in and out. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch over to John for a, a moment here. Uh, John Pirro um um, Holly was just talking about tra people, talking traffic, traffic offenses, traffic and Akiko offenses. talked about that also. Um, so, so talk to me about the kinds of people that you that you think that you can uh, parole here or get out of jail. I think the brief took a pretty measured approach, Carrie, and we got to think about it in a few ways. First, we need to think about how we punish and how we treat the poor, the disfavored the marginalized, the condemned yes. people in our society, it doesn't just say something about them, it says something about us too. And right now we're all sitting on a powder keg with incarcerated <laughs> people. As we, as we all know in Nevada, the prisons or jails are overpopulated and under-resourced. So we're sitting on a powder keg hoping that it doesn't explode. When we know that other states have shown us that coronavirus spreads very quickly in uh, facilities because incarcerated people cannot social distance themselves. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing, though. In the letter, uh, it said that there was somebody at the uh, High Desert Valley State Prison who has tested positive for coronavirus. But if, if I look at the Nevada uh, Department of Health statistics, they say that, that no prisoners have tested positive. <laughs> Uh, only uh, guards have tested positive, and there's only like five of them. Well, Does that I even make sense? That, 
I understand that that's what they're saying, but there's a few things that we need to keep track of. They have 13,000 people under the care of the Nevada Department of Corrections, and they have 15 testing kits. Oh, my God. Questioned on Monday. When questioned on Monday, the director said, oh, we have no cases. And then when he was questioned, well, have you tested anybody and tested Mm -hmm. any incarcerated people? He said no. So how could we really know what the number is? We don't. Right. We're just waiting for something to boil over. And then, lo and behold, Mr. Callaway said at the same meeting on Monday that, oh, we have had nobody at the Clark County Detention Center. When it turns out the day before, they put somebody in University Medical Center Uh, that tested positive. Interesting. And how long was that? How long was that person in the Clark County Detention Center? How many people had they interacted with? How many people, how many staff members had they interacted with? These are concerns not only for incarcerated people, but the correctional officers, their families, and the communities that they serve. Because the virus has no limits. It's not going to stop at the walls of the jail or the prison. Right. So taking a measured approach, as suggested in the brief uh, that we submitted, Focusing on three prongs, uh, releasing people who are already eligible, releasing vulnerable people within 18 months of possibly being released, and releasing nonviolent people within three years, we're looking at a measured approach. We're not just saying just slam open the door, let everybody out. We're trying to take a measured approach that will protect both the community and incarcerated people so that this doesn't boil over like it did in Louisiana. And let me just tell you about that, Carrie. In Louisiana, there was a federal detention center. Uh, It started on March 27th. They had five cases of incarcerated people. Two days later, three staff tested positive. The next day, two more incarcerated people tested positive. Then by April 1st, 11 incarcerated people, four staff, and three deaths. These are totally preventable deaths Mm -hmm. if we could protect these people. So within a two-week period, there was a six-fold increase with 34 incarcerated people infected, 13 staff, and five preventable deaths. And what we're saying now is we're ringing the bell early because it needs to be rung early. And out of all the great measures that this state has taken, incarcerated people have been overlooked. Uh, Yes. Uh, Kiko, you had a question here? Yes, I wanted to ask John if he thinks that um, at any point were they, um, instead of calling it COVID, they would say, oh, they just had the flu. That way they wouldn't have to categorize it under COVID. I'm not aware of that right now, so I couldn't speak to that. Yeah, I'm actually trying to get numbers from hospitals about that. But, you know, how many people in uh, January and February came in with flu-like and pneumonia symptoms uh, that 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 tested negative for the flu. Um, so that's you know trying to get numbers out of out of the state mm-hmm. and out of hospitals. They're pretty busy right now, uh, so that's a, a tough one. Um, we are talking about how I think uh, John Holly uh, said about three hundred people that that you're looking at getting out. Is that is that right, or did I not hear her because her connection was bad? No, you heard Holly correct, but that just is under prong one, mm. the release of people who are already eligible for parole. You're looking at roughly 200 to maybe more people that are just sitting there that have already gotten approved. They've already been vetted and they're waiting for the date to get out. We're saying release those people now. And where do you release them to if they have no housing? Let me ask you this question, Carrie. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that, <laughs> uh, right, like, I'm not saying that they, they shouldn't be between. released, right? But 
but are we going to, we can't release them to the streets. That's just as bad. If you had the choice between dying in the street on your own mm. terms or dying in a facility, what mm. choice would you make? Mm. I'd rather take my chances on the outside. Okay. At least to provide some agency. Okay. And this is including people who are actually, who are in prisons and also people who are at uh, county jails. Well, we would talk about county jails differently. The brief was focused on the prison, but I would say to the county jail, what is the utility of housing a person that's 90 days away from being released or a couple months away from being released? What's the utility of housing them longer when we're facing a pandemic? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that, that I thought was interesting is that the brief asks people to, uh, ask, actually the cops to not arrest people unless it's something that's really violent. Um, I, I, what, what's the feedback you're getting on that? Maybe Holly could speak to this issue because I know that that was part of the letter that they addressed, and then I could also follow up on that as well. Yeah, you know what? I think Holly's gone. Um, I think she, she left the conversation. I can try and add her again. But um, So uh, how... We have 15 tests. We, we don't have many tests in the state. Um, how do we know uh, that we're not releasing people who are, um, who are already um, uh, contaminated with COVID-19 uh, into homes where people are not contaminated or into uh, the streets where people are not contaminated? Are we, are, is there a plan to test them more? Not that I know of. As okay. you know, there's a statewide shortage of tests and nationwide shortage of tests. And where other countries have taken measures to do more aggressive testing, more aggressive following, the United States under Donald Trump's leadership has not done that. Um, okay, so cool. And we're going to try and get Holly back on here. But uh, Akiko, um, some, yes. so you, you have some questions about this and how this is going to work? I think, uh, Holly, are you still on here? I, I am here. It's showing me that you weren't. So that's cool. Um, so this is, this is one of the, the, uh, the questions that I have. Um, sorry, Akiko, to cut you off there. Um, it, it, you're you're asking about you're asking to release detainees who are no longer a threat to public safety to be released. Um, how do we determine whether someone is no longer a risk, and how long is it going to take to determine that? Clear individuals that we can look at. We can look at individuals. Yeah, that have served a certain you know amount of time in prison at this point individuals that are incarcerated for, you know, those non, um, non-violent actions that have more to do with, you know, property offenses, et cetera. So I think that's the place to start. Now, a lot of those individuals have been identified. It doesn't mean that, you know, there's, you know, one fell swoop. I mean, there, there has to be opportunity to look at, you know, credits that people have accrued over time. But it is something that is quite possible. We've seen governors that have extended executive orders all across the country where they're releasing, you know, maybe 400 individuals at a time, 500 individuals at a time. Uh, and released under, you know, the circumstances they're considering. 
Uh, so um, I want to go back to you on this question that I asked John. Uh, you're asking law enforcement to arrest fewer people. What is their response? I think we've seen, you know, um, on Monday there was a meeting of the Nevada Sentencing Commission, a very long six-hour meeting where um, the ultimate decision there was to continue the discussion, but a are of the pardons board to institute some of these, you know, release measures. And um, what we've discovered there is that, um, you know, a, a lot came to the surface during this meeting. We, we heard from Chuck Calloway from Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department that, you know, they've released, um, I, I think, several hundred individuals and that their, their population right now at the Clark County Detention Center was, uh, was lower. They're not arresting people at the same rate that they were before. Mm. And there's actually, you know, data to that effect. I mean, the arrest rate has gone down for, for certain offenses. So I do think in some ways there's some action that's being taken, but, you know, it doesn't address those people who are currently there. There's still the issue of, of the, the prison issue, the fact that, you know, they can't really say in our prison system that, no one has tested positive because when they're not testing anyone who's been in contact with um, a COVID-19 positive individual, you know, I think there's you know bigger issues at play here and the arrest issue is just one of them. Okay, that, it is uh, 7.29 and we're going to have to cut this out. Uh, Holly and John, thank you for joining us today. Um, we're going to have you back and check in with this stuff later on. Uh, another half hour of Impact has come and gone. Uh, I love having Akiko Cooks uh, to talk to as my Wednesday co-host. Impact is a co-production of Nevada Voice and KUNV with CCSD Parents and No Racism in Schools. The music you are listening to right now is Vampire Weekend's Oxford Comma. The music you listen to at the beginning is Foster the People's Life on, in, on the Nickel, my daughter told me. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 p.m. You can get this show and previous shows at KUNV.org. Just go to the Impact page and scroll down to the bottom. I'm Carrie Kaufman. Thank you for listening to Impact.